You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be together. Uh, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, starting in verse 42 uh, of Acts chapter 2. I hope that you uh, will take some time to visit the table in the lobby uh, for uh, our uh, family advocacy ministry. For that ministry, you just saw the video on, you know, we want to be a James 127 church that cares for uh, orphans and widows uh, in their affliction. As the Bible says, is pure and undefiled religion. And so uh, I hope that you'll take some time to check out uh, and see how you can get involved. Maybe it's taking a meal, maybe it's giving a gift card, uh, maybe it's just praying, uh, but there's a way for you to get plugged in and I hope, uh, I hope you'll take some time to look at that. Well, Acts chapter 2 uh, is where we are going to be together uh, this morning. And I wonder, is anyone in here, uh, are you a puzzle person? Anyone here just love to do puzzles? All right, a few of you. Uh, I want to be a puzzle person. I, I really do. Uh, I will go to stores and look at puzzles. This week, uh, I picked up a puzzle and uh, there was a, a 500 piece and then a thousand piece puzzle. Uh, and I really want to be a puzzle person. But I, I don't know that I've ever actually completed an entire puzzle. Um, I don't know if it's a time issue. Uh, I think it's probably a commitment issue, right? I just can't commit uh, to that. Um, but uh, I do know a few things about puzzles, right? One of the things is you start with the corners, right? You, and then you look for the edge pieces. And if you can make, you can make the edges, then you've got, uh, you've got a head start. One of the things I also know about puzzles is this, is that it's really hard to do the puzzle if you don't know what it's supposed to look like right? Uh, if you lose the box, it's hard to do the puzzle. Uh, and uh, I've never tried to do that, but I, I'm sure some of you, maybe you have. Um, it's difficult to finish the puzzle if you don't know what it is. Uh, and depending on the picture that the puzzle is supposed to make, uh, it might not be worth doing the puzzle, right? Uh, you might hate the picture. And so this morning, uh, as we think about the church, as we think about what we do, we're going to take a look at the picture, right? We, uh, we probably can rattle off some of the things that we believe make a church. We can rattle off some of the parts, some of the pieces, if you will, on what a church is supposed to be and what a church is supposed to do. But I wonder how many of us have ever taken a minute to look at the picture. How many of us have, have ever pulled back and said, okay, when you put all the pieces together, what is the church supposed to look like? We want to be a healthy church, but what does it mean to be a healthy church? What does a healthy church look like? What does a healthy church do? What does a healthy church function like? And so here in Acts chapter 2, we get a picture of the, not just the early church, we get a picture of the first church. And as we look at this passage, as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see this truth. Healthy churches and healthy disciples are committed to the right things. Healthy churches and healthy disciples are committed to the right things. And so look with me at Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen. Better yet, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those Bibles out of the pew in front of you and just consider that as our gift to you this morning. But let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Acts chapter 2. 
Beginning in verse 42, the Spirit says to us this morning, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your church that you died to save, that you purchased with your blood. And Father, I pray that Central Church would be a healthy church. And God, I pray that we would see a picture of what a healthy church is this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When you read the book of Acts, uh, there's a question that you've got to wrestle with. Uh, is what I'm reading here in the book of Acts, is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? So is Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is he describing what was happening in uh, the early church? Was he describing it so that we would know? Or was he prescribing it, saying that this is what you should be, this is what you should do, this is what you should look like? And depending on where you are in the book of Acts, that answer is going to shift a little. And so when we come here to Acts chapter 2 and we look at these verses, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Is this prescriptive? Is, is the Holy Spirit through Dr. Luke, is he prescribing what the church is to be? Or is he describing uh, what the church was? Uh, well, as I look at this passage and I study it, I believe that he's describing it, but he's describing it to prescribe it, right? That, that he is saying that, hey, this is what a healthy church looks like. This is what a healthy church must be. And so as we look here at Acts chapter 2, we're going to see a few things that we must commit to uh, as disciples, uh, as individuals, as believers, but also as a church. And so the first thing we must commit to is this, is we must commit to worship with the church. Commit to worship with the church. There's no doubt that the early Christians were committed to the church. And they weren't just committed to the idea of the church. They were committed to the church. They were committed to practicing what they preached, to practicing what they talked about. And so if we're going to be a healthy church then we must be full of healthy disciples who are committed to the right things, who are committed to the things that the early church was committed to. So look with me at verse 42. When you look at verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. What we have there is we have all of the components that make up a New Testament church. Everything that it takes to be a church, we have here in verse 42. And so first we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does it mean, uh, the apostles' teaching here? Well, it means that they uh, committed themselves uh, to hearing from the apostles, hearing from the disciples, and uh, that teaching would have consisted of Jesus' earthly teaching, right? his teaching while he was ministering here on earth. It would have included uh, what he taught in the 40 days after his resurrection, and it would have included the Old Testament. If you, you jump back to Luke 24, then on that Emmaus road, you see where Jesus meets with the disciples and he teaches them, starting with the law and moving through the prophets and the writings, uh, all things concerning himself. 
So what, he's, what he does is he shows how the Old Testament is actually pointing to Jesus. And so the apostles teaching what they would have been doing is they would have been opening up, explaining and applying the Old Testament. They would have been reminding uh, these new believers who had been converted earlier in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. They would have been reminding them and teaching them what Jesus taught while he walked on earth. See, it's not an accident that here in verse 42, the first thing that we read about the new church is they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. We could say it like this, that the early church was committed to God's word, right? Because that's what the apostles would go on to do. They would go on to record what they were teaching. And that's what we know today as the New Testament. See, the the first mark of every healthy church is a commitment to God's word. That we want to preach the word, we want to pray the word, we want to sing the word, we want to live the word. And so last week we said that the most important thing about any church is what you believe about Jesus. Well, the way you find out about what you believe about Jesus is what does the Bible say? And so as a church, if we're going to be a healthy church, then we've got to be committed to knowing and believing and living out and teaching and handing on God's word. But they weren't just devoted to the apostles' teaching next. It says that they devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread. They committed themselves. Now, for some of you, you read they devoted themselves to the fellowship, and you think they devoted themselves to fried chicken and casseroles, right? Uh, and uh, I have to agree, right? Uh, I think that's what they're talking about here. Um, no, but what they're talking about is that The church, and we'll see this later on in this passage as well, the early church had a sincere love for one another. And so for the early church, church wasn't just an hour on Sundays. They didn't gather together just to hear the apostles teach and to sing and then run out the doors because they've got to do this, this, and this. No, When we say that the early Christians were committed to the church, well, what we see is that they weren't just committed to the church as an institution. They were committed to the church as a people, right? They were committed to living life together. So so they were committed to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, most commentators believe that this breaking of bread, that it actually is carrying two meanings here. And that's why that word fellowship or that that phrase fellowship, it's modifying that breaking of bread. So that first, when we're talking about breaking of bread, we are talking about sharing a meal together. But second, this breaking of bread is also most likely the Lord's Supper. That what the early church would do, they would come together. They would hear the apostles teaching. They would share a meal together. And then their time together would be accumulated. It would come together around the Lord's table, uh, taking the Lord's Supper, being reminded of the gospel that they've just celebrated. So they were committed to hearing the gospel and word, but they were also committed uh, to showing the gospel through the supper. It says they, they devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And then finally it says uh, that they committed themselves to prayer, right? They, they uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, prayer here is not just a useful addition in the life of the early church. Prayer was the life of the church. They didn't see it as a burden that they had to experience or that they had to do. They saw it as a privilege that in prayer, they got to come before the throne of the Father in their time of need and they got to pray. 
Right? It's easy to read the book of Acts, and if we forget where we are in this book, then we'll think that everything was easy and everything was rosy and everything was peachy for the early church. But that's not the picture that we get here in the book of Acts. Right? They were dealing with persecution, and just a, a few chapters later, we're going to see Stephen stoned. We're going to see him killed, and why is he killed? He's killed because he's proclaiming the gospel. And so the early church, their key to survival wasn't their own will and their own strength. It was God's grace and God's power that they accessed through prayer. And so if we're going to be a healthy church, then we've got to be a church that is serious about prayer. Casey mentioned when he was doing the announcements that next week, we're going to start 21 days of prayer here at Central. We're going to give you some guides that uh, our pastors have put together uh, that are going to walk us through the Gospels, uh, ultimately culminating in Holy Week. We're going to walk together day by day through Holy Week. And as we walk through that, that's not just a call to be in the Word, although that is definitely what we're doing, but it's a call to us to be praying, right? to be a church that is serious about prayer. You know, I think it would be fair to say that many of us don't pray the way we would like to. And I'm convinced of this, that many of us don't pray the way we would like to because pastors and churches haven't emphasized prayer the way it ought to be emphasized. We haven't discipled people well to know what praying is. So oftentimes in churches, we pray as a transition moment to get people off the stage rather than stopping to pray and come before the presence of a holy and a righteous and a good God who's invited us to know Him and be known by Him. And so we have got to commit ourselves as a church to praying, but the way we commit ourselves as a church to praying is we commit individually to being people of prayer. We commit ourselves to being people who read God's Word and pray. John Piper, several years ago, he, he tweeted this, and, and I'm going to get it wrong. I'm kind of shooting from the hip here. But he said that, that on the last day, when we stand before the Father, Facebook and Twitter, and now we could say Instagram and everything else, will serve to prove that lack of prayer was not due to lack of time. Right? That we give our time to things that ultimately do not matter. Right? We give our time, and this isn't just social media, right? This is any kind of media. This is, this is anything that we do, and then at the end of the day, we say, God, I would have prayed. I would have read my Bible, but I just didn't have time because I had to read the latest news about the Gators. I had to read the latest news about this, or, or I had to know what was happening here, or, or I had to find out what was going to happen in that next episode or in that next chapter or, or I had to, to sleep or I had to do this or I had to do that when really what we're saying is, God, I would have prayed, but there were just more important things to do. And so we've got to be people who are committed to prayer because prayer is an, it's an invitation to a joyful work. Now look at verse 43. What happens when the church is committed to this kind of gathering and this kind of living? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now that word awe, A-W, that word awe, it literally it's translated as fear. And fear came upon every soul. Why would fear come upon every soul? Well, this fear, it's a reverence for who God is and what he's doing. 
See, the early church, they saw how powerful and how strong and how mighty and how great God was. They understood that this God was not a tame God. It's it's like what Mr. Beaver says about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, that he is good, but he is not safe. See, our God is good, but he doesn't call us to a safe life. He, he doesn't do safe things. He calls us to risk it all because he is worthy. And here's the great thing about that is that whenever you're walking with the Father, there's no such thing as a risk because the end is guaranteed. And so this fear, it, it falls upon them. And it's a reverence for what God is doing. And it says that many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. Now, we have an idea of what these wonders and signs are doing, right? That people are being healed, that, uh, that, that, uh, that prison walls are breaking down, that, that they're going free. They're seeing all of these miraculous things. Well, what's the point of the signs and the wonders? Well, the point of a sign is to point to something else, right? I've never seen a sign that just says, here is the sign, right? No, the sign is always telling us, you know, 10 more miles to Disney World, 45 miles an hour, whatever it may be. Well, these signs and wonders are pointing to the fact that the kingdom is near, right? That the gospel has come, that the Savior, he's done his work. And so now God has come near to us. And this is why we see things happening in the book of Acts is because really what we have is we have two different epics, two different chapters of redemptive history rubbing on top of one another. And so we see these miraculous things because what God is doing is he's showing that the page is being turned, right? He, he's showing that the Messiah has come. See, God delights to work among his gathered people. When the church gathers to hear God's word, to worship him and to seek him together, he shows up. Amen. But when we neglect or we treat that gathering as optional, we're treating God's plan for his people as optional and we miss out for what he has for us. Here's God's plan for your life and for mine. God's plan for Christians is life in and with the church. Now, is it possible to grow as a Christian without the church? Yes. Here's my question. Why would you want to? Last week, I, I told you that I had fertilized my yard for the first time in my life. It, you know, fertilizer serves a purpose. I, ideally, when you fertilize, your grass is going to grow faster it's going to grow stronger. It's going to grow healthier. And hopefully, the weeds will be killed. See, that's the effect that healthy churches have in the life of Christians. That we grow faster. We grow healthier. We go further. And together, we kill the weeds of life. See, that's what the church is to be. Now, I don't think we can talk about gathering as a church in 2022 without talking about just how important it is to be in the room. Now, I understand we, we've had a great online presence and I'm grateful for you for watching online at home. I'm, I'm thrilled that you are. I had a, a professor in seminary. Uh, he had preached in chapel and a kid in the class, uh, he, he told him, he said, hey, I couldn't be there, but I watched online and it was really good. 
And my professor's response was, you know, watching a service online is a lot like watching a fire on TV. You can see it and you can tell that it was hot, but you can't feel the heat. Man, it is important to be committed to the church because that's God's plan for us. Right? That, that's God's plan for our life. Now, understand, health issues might hold you back, right? I, I get it. There are legitimate reasons for not coming and not gathering. There are legitimate reasons to watch online. But rain is not a legitimate reason, right? <laughs> There are legitimate reasons to say, hey, I, I, need, uh, I, I need to take a, a few weeks off or, or, or I need to step back because of health issues or, or because of family issues or whatever it may be. But ultimately, God's plan for you and for me is to be here with his people, to be in a healthy church, living on mission together. That's what we've been called to do. See, healthy churches and healthy disciples are committed to the right things. We commit first to worship. Next, we see in this passage that we commit to one another. We commit to one another. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In this passage, we see that the, the early church, that they weren't just committed to the church as an idea and in general, but they were committed to one another specifically. They didn't just view the church as this place or this building or this institution. They viewed the church as family. And it's this kind of commitment that healthy churches and healthy disciples practice. Look at verse 44. We have this great statement of unity in the church. And all who believed, so all of the Christians, all the disciples, were together and they had all things in common. There was a unity of mind and a unity of heart along with a, a mutual care for the early church. Now, what did this care look like? Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, care for one another went as far for them as selling their possessions to meet the needs of those who had needs. It went so far as, you know, I'm going to sacrifice for myself to meet the needs of my brother or my sister. See, radical generosity marked the disciples. Now, some of you are reading this and you're getting nervous, right? You're saying, well, isn't that communism, Ethan? Right? No, this isn't communism. Isn't that socialism? No. Because this generosity was voluntary, not compulsory. This generosity wasn't a, hey, you must do this. No, it was, there was a love in the people for one another. And that love for one another drove them to compassion, which ultimately led to sacrifice. See, when the Holy Spirit is active in individuals and churches... Radical generosity is normal. Serious care for one another is regular. I, I got a letter in the mail this week uh, from our family of churches, the, the Florida Baptist Convention. And uh, in this letter, it, it was a, a thank you letter uh, signed by Tommy Green, who was here a couple months back. Uh, and uh, he was just recognizing, saying thank you, that Central, uh, out of, there's about 3,800, 3,900 Florida Baptist churches, uh, Central, uh, is in the top 100 in giving across our entire state and our entire family of churches. And that's praise the Lord, right? That's, that's because of your generosity. 
Uh, that's because you give. And so what you give, we can forward on uh, to other churches. So there are churches all around our state uh, that are hurting, uh, that, that are struggling, that are suffering. And because of our giving, we are able to be a part of the resourcement and the encouragement uh, and ultimate re revival in these churches. Through our giving, we are able to partner together uh, with churches in hard-to-reach places and places that we can't even talk about because Jesus is worthy. And so this care for one another, it, it definitely is people here in the room, but it's also for the church as a whole, right? We see this through the New Testament as well. And so this radical generosity, it's a fruit of the transformation that the gospel brings to your life. See, the gospel... Jesus' work in you isn't confined to just then, right? It's not confined to just eternity. No, Jesus, he is working. He wants to work. He desires to work in your heart and in your life right now. Amen. You cannot encounter Jesus and remain the same. It's impossible for the Holy Spirit to be active in your life and for you to not have a serious care for others. See, when the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, radical generosity becomes a part of who you are. See, it's tempting to want all of the benefits that Jesus offers for eternity, but to not want any of his change right now. We want Jesus to get us to heaven. We just don't want him to change us on the way there. To use kind of Bible words, we want justification, but we don't want sanctification. Think about the rich young ruler from Matthew 19. He, he comes to Jesus and he says, what deed must I do to get to heaven? He was ready to modify his behavior. He was ready to do the one-time act, but he wasn't ready for the change that Jesus offered. Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to enter the kingdom, then sell all that you have and give to the poor. You remember what the rich young ruler did? He walked away. See, Jesus, he, he didn't say sell all that you have and give to the poor because that's the price to get to heaven. If you, if you keep reading in the context, what he says is sell all that you have and give to the poor to show that I'm more valuable than any of that to show that I have changed your heart and I have changed your life. See, the rich young ruler, he wanted God's grace of heaven, but not his grace of change. But part of the blessing of following Jesus now is that we get to follow Jesus now, Amen. right? That we get to be with Jesus now. Too often times when we think about the gospel, we think about salvation, we think about, hey, I get to be with Jesus then. No, the blessing of the gospel is that you get to be with Jesus now. Right, that you get to follow him now, that you get to walk with him now, that you get to be changed by him now. Amen. See, the, the blessing, the benefit of the gospel is now. This is part of the kingdom, right? That we're called to live as kingdom citizens. And what we know about the kingdom is that the kingdom is both already here, but not yet fully. So we'll talk about the kingdom as already and not yet. See, we have already been saved. Right? We, trusting Jesus, we have been justified, but we have not yet been fully sanctified. And so what that means is that we have already been counted as innocent before God 
but we're not yet perfect. And part of the blessing of following Jesus is that we can look at our life and we can see Jesus working again and again and again and again so that today I look more like Jesus than I did a year ago. Today I look more like Jesus than I did two years ago. Today I look more like Jesus than I did three years ago. And what that does is that reminds me that there's coming a day when I will fully and finally not just look like Jesus, but I will be with Jesus. Right. And and so that's the blessing of following Jesus. And so part of what that looks like in our life is that we are committed to one another. We are committed to following Jesus together. This is why uh, we believe that small groups are so vital here at Central. We want you. I want you to be in a small group because I want you to get more of Jesus than you have right now. I want you to be in a small group because I believe that following Jesus happens best with others, right? That's the plan for God's life. And so maybe say, Ethan, I would love to get into a small group, but you know, I just, uh, they've already started. I'd feel awkward walking into one. Well, I am glad that you are here today. (laughs) Starting right after this service at 11 o'clock in room 264 is starting point. You've heard us talk about Starting Point. Some of you have registered for Starting Point right up the stairs, down this hallway over here at room 264, second to last door on the right. Starting Point is starting today. It's a great introduction for some of us, a reminder of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So if you, you want to put feet to this message today, go join Starting Point. They might even have donuts, right? Uh, that's enough, right? See, healthy churches and healthy disciples are committed to the right things. We commit to worshiping together. We, we commit to one another. And finally, if we're going to be a healthy church, we've got to be committed. We have to commit ourselves to multiplication. See, this is really the story of the book of Acts. The story of the book of Acts is that the church multiplies. The church just keeps going. It's a lot like the Energizer Bunny, right? It just keeps going. It just keeps spreading. It just keeps moving. So in this story, we see a movement of the Spirit of God as the gospel spreads and the church multiplies throughout the ancient world. Early church, the early church, early churches, they were committed to multiplying because they knew this. If we don't multiply, we die. If we don't multiply, the movement stops. And too often we get comfortable thinking that, hey, we have our church. Now someone else can go do the work, right? Because we've got the church. No, as a church, we have been called to multiply. We have been called to plant churches. We've been called to raise up disciples, to raise up leaders, to raise up churches near, far, and everywhere. But see, this multiplication, it doesn't happen by accident. See, churches don't drift into God's mission. Oftentimes, just the opposite happens. We drift away from God's mission. We drift away from doing what God has called us to do. It takes a relentless commitment to stay on mission. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So in verse 46 here, we've got something interesting. They attended the temple together each day. Why? Why did they go to the temple? They weren't going to church. They were the church, right? 
So the, the temple wasn't necessarily a place that they felt like they had to go. No, the reason that they went to the temple, there's really two, but they're connected. First, the early church, they didn't see themselves as a new religion. So, so they didn't see themselves as like a new religious movement. No, they saw themselves as announcing Israel's Messiah's arrival. They saw themselves as saying, look, all that Israel had hoped for, all that Israel had dreamed, it is here and it is here in the person of Jesus Christ. And so they went to the temple, one, because that allowed them to keep studying God's word together. But second, they went to the temple to announce that the Messiah had come. This was an evangelistic opportunity. This was them sitting in the back of the room and when someone would read from the Old Testament and then offer up a teaching, they would say, hey, can I tell you who that's really about? That's about Jesus. Let, let me show you how, right? In Isaiah 53, when we read about this suffering servant who like a lamb led to the slaughter was broken and bled for his people, that that suffering servant, that lamb, that's not just another man, that's Jesus the Christ. We read Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where God says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent was Jesus, right? When we read in 2 Samuel 7, God making a covenant with David so that his kingdom will rule forever and his house will know no end. The true son of David, the right son of David, the ultimate king whose rule knows no end is King Jesus, and so they got to go to the temple day by day and they got to celebrate this and lift this up and invite people to know this Jesus. Oh. Invite people to taste this forgiveness. In the end of verse 46 into 47, we see another unexpected evangelistic opportunity. It says they, they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. There was a sincere love for one another, but also a sincere joy for one another that, that marked them. How did they eat? They ate with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. See, they were marked by a joy and a love that only God could give. And as I read this passage, there's a question that, uh, that I'm struck by, and it's this is, am I like that? Do, do I eat with a glad and generous heart? Not because the food tastes good, right? But because it's a blessing from God. Do, that we could pull this out back from just food. Do I receive my blessings with a glad heart? Not because I've earned them and not because I've worked hard enough, but because God has been gracious. Amen. See, the only reason that you have anything, the only reason that I have anything is because of God's grace. And if you don't believe that, well, then answer this question. What did you do to deserve to be born in the United States of America in 20, the 20th century? Or the 19th century, right? That's what happens when I go off my notes. Right, what did we do to deserve to be here today? It's God's grace, right? It's all of grace. Do I receive what God has given me with a glad and generous heart or do I take his blessings for granted? In verse 47, we see what this kind of life leads to. It leads to favor with all people, but it doesn't end there. Through their witness of joy and generosity, the Lord was saving people. 
the end of verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were seeing spiritual growth. They were seeing numeric growth. And the way this growth was happening was the church was being the church. It's not because they had the right program. It's not because they had gone through evangelism explosion or they had gone through faith or they had gone through this training or that training or they were using the three circles or whatever it may be. No, it happened because you had healthy disciples committed to a healthy church and the healthy church was being and doing what the church has been called to do. See, this passage teaches us that when the church is functioning as the church, God blesses. God shows up. When we're marked by love and joy, we are a compelling community. See, I don't think anyone would say that our world today is marked by love and joy. Our world today is marked by division and fear. And so take a minute and look around this room. We have people from different backgrounds, different generations, different races, different cultures. You look around this room, we have every reason for division. But around the throne of Jesus, we have unity. And so when we are united, we are a compelling community because we are showing the world that we have something that they do not. We're showing the world that we have something that they need. We have an opportunity to offer the world something that is different. And so how do we develop this kind of love and this kind of joy in our church and in our lives? Well, we develop it by doing this. We focus on Jesus. See, Jesus is love and joy in flesh and bones. He's not only our greatest example of love and joy, but he is the only way to real love and real joy. You see, a heart changed by Jesus, a heart changed by the gospel is a heart that models the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is what the early church was modeling. They were modeling these fruits of the Spirit and these fruits of the Spirit led to unity and that unity led to evangelism. But it didn't lead to evangelism in the way that we might expect, right? It led to evangelism by just being who God has called us to be. And as we are who God has called us to be, the Lord opens the door for us to share the gospel. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand, right? I'm not saying that we don't need to share the gospel, right? Maybe you've heard the phrase, share the gospel at all times, use words when necessary, right? There's a Greek word for that, baloney, right? The gospel <laughs> is a message, right? The gospel is words. Paul says in Romans 10, how will they believe unless they hear, right? So we've got to be serious about proclaiming the gospel. But rather than putting up roadblocks to a gospel that is already offensive enough by being unhealthy and by being divided and all of that, we get the opportunity of being united and unified around the gospel of King Jesus. And as we experience that unity, and as we practice that unity, the Lord opens up doors for us to proclaim the gospel. And so 
this series, we've talked about the church defined who we are and what we do. Well, if we want to be a healthy church, then what we do is we live like healthy disciples. But we don't just live like healthy disciples. We've got to be healthy disciples. See, healthy churches are made up of healthy disciples. These commitments are commitments that churches must make. But the way that churches make these commitments is by our members making them, right? By our attenders, by our disciples making them. And so this morning, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to commit to these three things. See, there are other good things that you can commit to. But it is a sin to commit to good things when God has called us to commit to great things. So can you throw those, those three things back up there? There's three commitments. Commit to worship with the church. Commit to one another. Commit to multiplication. I, I wonder if you would commit to those things today. That you would say, you know what? As long as I'm not providentially hindered, I'm going to commit to worship with my church family. Does that mean you can't take a vacation? That's not what that means, right? What it means is that you're going to have a regular rhythm of worshiping with the church. You commit to one another. You commit to a small group. Commit to following Jesus together. Maybe this morning you need to commit to starting point. And finally, commit to multiplication. Every Christian is a missionary. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Some pray, some give, and some go. Really all pray, most give, and many go. And so maybe this morning you need to commit to a, a life of multiplication. Here in uh, the next, next week, we're going to start our Easter series. And one of the things, I'm going to give you kind of a preview of coming attractions. We're going to call you, and this isn't new for you, to be praying for the one person that you can be inviting, the one person that you can invite to come and sit with you on Easter Sunday or even before then. And so maybe the way you commit to multiplication today uh, is you commit a week early to praying for your one, the one that you can invite to be here on Easter Sunday. Maybe this morning... You'd say, hey, I want to commit to all of those things. But Ethan, I need, well, what's this Jesus that you talk about, this gospel that supposedly unites us, this gospel that, that you've talked about? Well, the gospel is the good news that Jesus died so that you don't have to. The gospel is the good news that, that Jesus took the wrath that my sin deserves and that your sin deserves so that you don't have to. And that after he took that wrath, he rose from the grave, conquered sin, conquered death. And right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. And if you'll trust him, interceding for you even now going to the Father for you. And so maybe you need to trust Jesus today. But here's what we want to encourage you to do. We want to invite you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to talk with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus. And so you can do one of two ways. You can go right out uh, these doors, hang a right. Our next steps room is right there. It's got the window. There'll be people in there ready to, to talk with you and pray with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus. You can send a text. We've got a number that'll be on the screen, 407 338 4024. You can just put your first name and you can put talk or Jesus or a smiley face or whatever it may be. And there's someone on the end of that line who's ready to talk with you, ready to set up a way for, for us to, to have a conversation about what does it look like to follow Jesus.
Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace today. Lord, we're grateful for the good news that Jesus saves. And Father, we're grateful for the church. Lord, we know that the church is a gift from you to us. And so, Father, I pray that we would be healthy disciples and that we would be a healthy church and that we would commit to the right things. That we would commit to gathering together for worship, that we would commit to one another, that we would commit to multiplication. And Father, I pray for those who maybe this morning, before any of that, they need to commit to you. They, they need to commit their life to you. They need to commit their eternity to you. They need to find their joy and their hope in you. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in hearts and lives in the way that only you can do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org. 